Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 1, And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan, even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments, and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with change of raiment. May God bless the reading of his word tonight is my prayer. This uh, text is set in the period of the reconstruction of Israel in the Old Testament. You'll remember that Israel, as a result of the, their sin and the judgment of God, uh, the nation was carried away into captivity uh, into Babylon where they would spend 70 years. And then afterwards they were allowed to come back and uh, Nehemiah and Ezra would lead that reconstruction time as they went back to Jerusalem, began to rebuild the city itself, the temple, the walls. What we see before us tonight was happening as a part of that situation where the prophet Zechariah was given a vision, a vision of Joshua who was the high priest of Israel during that time, standing before the Jehovah angel. And as is so often the case in Scripture, when you find that the angel of the Lord, you're seeing an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. So he was standing before God with the Jehovah angel standing beside him and Satan standing to accuse him. You may not think of this as a courtroom scene, uh, but that's exactly what it is. You see the three primary characters. There's the accused. Uh, that's Joshua. Don't confuse him with Joshua, way, way back Joshua, the deliverer of Israel, different Joshua here. This is Joshua the high priest. Centuries have passed. Don't get them confused. But Joshua as the high priest is the one who is presented in this text as the accused. Satan is the adversary. And then there's the advocate. And that is the Lord. Now our message tonight is titled Dealing with Guilt. I'm going to share with you the story of one named Madeline Carmichael. Um, Madeline Carmichael is uh, a centerpiece in a horrible story of abuse and murder. Back in 1972, she was mother to twins, a boy and a girl, Latanisha and Andre, in New York City. Uh, for reasons not entirely clear, Latanisha was killed. She was hidden in a closet in the home in November 1972. When her older siblings finally tipped off the police 21 years later, they found the mummified remains swaddled in a blanket and wrapped in a newspaper dated November the 4th, I believe, 1972, in a cedar box in Madeline's upstairs closet. Uh, her family has actually written a book describing the situation her children did, describing the situation in which they were grown appropriately. The book was named Skeleton in the Closet. 
skeleton in the closet. Uh, interestingly, Madeline was a reclusive woman. She apparently often complained of hearing a baby crying. Even though no baby was anywhere around her apartment. Now let me be clear, I don't believe in ghosts. Though some of the articles about her claim that she was being haunted. The only thing I believe Madeline was being haunted by was her own guilt. Uh, when some of her own grandchildren would come by to see her, she would not allow them in the home because they reminded her of the little girl that she had killed so long ago, haunted by guilt. For all the people in the world today who deny the reality of sin, I don't think anybody would deny the reality of guilt. And really, when you think about it, those two go together. If there's guilt then there has to be sin. If there's sin, there has to be guilt. And, and uh, so all those who are denying the reality of sin, yet I don't see anybody denying the reality of guilt. And certainly we all know it. You may not be haunted by a body buried in your backyard or by uh, one wrapped up in a closet, but you know those feelings of guilt. We know them all too well. We can identify perhaps with a young soldier whose story was told by the chaplain who visited him in the hospital at what was certain to become his deathbed. The chaplain asked the young soldier, Son, is there anything I can do for you? And the young man said, No. I need someone who can undo some things. I need someone who can undo. Well, tonight we're going to be looking at that, at that whole subject, that whole concept of dealing with guilt. And I'm glad to be able to tell you tonight that there is one who can help us deal with guilt. So first we'll notice the accused in the text, and that was Joshua, clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And though this plays out, before Joshua, the high priest of Israel from so long ago, in today's world, it could just as easily be my story. It could be your story. It could be all of our stories. Because the fact is, as I've said many times, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners. And Joshua, standing before the high court of God, has no choice but to plead guilty. His our garments are not just stained. He does not have a spot of mustard on his tie or a little uh, bit of cheese dip uh, left over somewhere uh, from that Mexican lunch we had today. No, nothing like that. His garments are filthy, the Bible says. Filthy. That means that they weren't just dirty, uh, but they smelled. They were filthy with the effects of sin. See, a lot of things that uh, happen to us out in the world uh, will actually just cover us up with the smell of sin. I, I hate to admit it, uh, but uh, when I was a kid growing up, uh, I got to hanging around with some of my buddies, and uh, they all liked to smoke cigarettes, and I kind of tried it for a while. The most curious thing in the world to me was how in the world that my mother knew that I had been smoking. 
<laughs> Isn't that silly? Oh, my. Well, we know how they know, of course. It, uh, it does uh, kind of uh, smell. I'm not telling you tonight that, that smoking cigarettes is the worst sin in the world. I'm just telling you, reminding you that there's a lot of things that we can involve ourselves in. That Not only do we carry the, the stains of it, but we carry the smell as well. It just, uh, he wasn't just dirty. He was filthy, smelly dirty with the sins of the nation. Remember, he's the high priest. He represents Israel. Romans chapter 3 and verse 19 says this, Now we know that whatsoever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. All the world, all humanity, guilty before God. Now, we need to identify what guilt is exactly. Because most of the time when we think of guilt, we think of the feeling of guilt. But the feeling of guilt is not guilt. And I want to give you an illustration. It's as good as I could come up with. I'm sorry it's not better. Uh, but uh, occasionally, uh, I like to make a, a, a pone of cornbread. Uh, and to make a pone of cornbread, as far as I know, you have to use a cast iron skillet. It is required. Uh, round, black, uh, the one I have came from my mother, so it's been in use for many, many, many years. And, uh, of course, when you are going to make a pone of cornbread and you're going to cook it in a cast iron skillet, the first thing you have to do is uh, wipe it down, put a little grease in there. Mother used bacon grease, but that's hard to come by these days uh, for some reason. But a uh, little grease in the pan, put the pan in the oven, let it heat up, Set it out on the stove. I was going through all the motions. Everything was fine, but uh, had the skillet turned the wrong way. And without thinking, I just reached down and grabbed that handle to scoot it over the way. I tell you, grab it real quick and you turn loose of it just as quick, but you can't get loose of it quick enough. Yeah, you got a blistered hand. Uh, that thing was hot and it burned me before I could get loose of it. Now I've got two problems. I've, I've got a blistered on my hand and uh, I've got the pain that goes along with it. Uh, let's understand that uh, guilt is not the pain. That's the feelings of guilt. Uh, what the guilt is, is whatever it is that's causing us to feel that. When it was on my hand, it was a burn. And you know how painful those burns are. But there's a difference between guilt and the feeling of guilt. Sometimes we make that point mainly because a lot of times people feel guilty and they really don't have anything to feel guilty about. But it's possible. It does happen. It's a strange thing. Sometimes children who are abused as a child end up growing up with feelings of guilt. They feel like it's their fault. Little children whose parents get a divorce may sometimes struggle for years with feelings of guilt. They feel like it's their fault that what happened to mom and dad. Now, it wasn't their fault. That little child that was abused by a predator, that was not that child's fault. Now, that little child whose mom and dad got a divorce, you know as well as I do, that, that was not their fault. But yet they have those feelings of guilt even though there's no real guilt there. That does happen. It does happen. But for the most part, 
Uh, we understand that the feelings of guilt come because of the reality of guilt. And we're feeling the pain then of whatever it is that has caused it. The Bible speaks of it this way. This is one of the main reasons why I chose the illustration of that cast iron skillet that I grabbed hold of. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. You see, the conscience produces those feelings of pain, that feeling of guilt. And you would think that people who are struggling with guilt and struggling with feelings of guilt would run to God. But the fact is that oftentimes people who are feeling those feelings of guilt run anywhere but to God. And they go to all kinds of things that they try to do to take away those feelings of guilt. But while a lot of things can numb the feeling, can numb the pain, none of them, none of them can deal with the guilt itself. Now, a person goes out and gets drunk. Yeah, they, they might not feel the pain anymore of their guilt, but the guilt is still there. They may take pills and deal with them for years, and maybe it numbs the pain and takes a little bit of it away somehow, but it doesn't deal with the guilt. Oftentimes, those feelings of guilt are projected on others. <laughs> read a story just this week of a man who was sent uh, to the store to pick up some eggs. His wife was baking a cake, and she forgot to get eggs, and she was out. So he said, honey, would you go to the store and get me some eggs? And so he did. He went and bought her a dozen eggs. He got back home, put the eggs down, reached in his pocket. His billfold was gone. And he knew he had it. He searched around real quickly. It wasn't in the car. He said, I must have laid it down or dropped it somewhere, went right back to the store, looked around out in the parking lot. Of course, he couldn't find it. It was gone. So he came back to the house all upset, angry. What do you think he said? You just had to have those eggs, didn't you, honey? <laughs> just had to have them eggs. Uh, it wasn't her fault. It wasn't the eggs' fault. It was his. But he's projecting those feelings of guilt on somebody else. And when we're dealing with guilt, that happens a lot. It turns quickly into bitterness and anger and anxiety. And we project that on other people. When we don't deal with our guilt ourselves, we find a way to blame somebody else, maybe in our own mind and heart, and we end up then being angry at somebody. It's not even their fault. We're great then at trying to excuse away our guilt. But again, excuses may make us temporarily feel a little bit better. It might kind of numb the pain a little bit if we can uh, somehow excuse ourselves and convince ourselves that it's not our fault. Let me tell you tonight, Jesus Christ did not die on Calvary for excuses. He didn't. He died on Calvary for people who admit their guilt. And there was Joshua standing before the high priest. His clothes were filthy. He was undeniably, inexcusably guilty. He wasn't making excuses. He wasn't trying to cover it up. He was standing there in his guilt and in his sin. And listen, when we approach God on the basis of the reality of our sin and guilt, then God has a solution for that. But let's notice that's not all that's in the text. We not only see the accused, and that's Joshua, 
but we see the adversary, Satan, standing at his right hand. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10 tells us this, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren, you know who that is, is cast down which accused them before our God day and night. Satan is the accuser. And he accuses all of God's people. He doesn't just accuse pastors and deacons or high priests. He doesn't just accuse Sunday school teachers or spiritual leaders. He accuses all of God's people. He's called his very name, means the accuser of the brethren. But not only is he the accuser, but interestingly, he is also the tempter or the enticer. What an interesting uh, path that he has. Because he's the one who's always whispering to us, go ahead, give it a try. Try it, you'll like it. It's not going to be bad. Nothing bad will happen. You'll get away with it. Nobody will see. He's the one who is tempting us, encouraging us, and pushing us constantly towards sin. And then when we do, he's the one who accuses. How could you have done that? How could you claim to be a child of God? Be a believer in Christ and have done something terrible like that. <laughs> he uh, breaks our leg and then accuses us for limping. That's Satan. He's both the enticer and the accuser of the brethren. In his dual role then that he plays very well. He's been doing it for a long time. He is constantly whispering, enticing, and accusing. He accuses us before God. He accuses us to our face. He wants us to focus our attention on our sins, on ourselves, on our failures, on Him. Anything, anything but Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that He has for us. He wants us to live our life under that dark cloud of guilt and despair. Now, Satan is the accuser. Let's understand tonight, we don't need to get him uh, confused with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the convictor. Jesus Christ, when he presented the work of the Holy Spirit, said to us that when he, the Comforter, has come, he will convict. The word means to convince the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Where Satan is both the tempter and the accuser, that is, he entices us to sin and then accuses us when we do. The Holy Spirit, on the other hand, works only to convict us, convince us of the reality of our sin. The word convent, uh, convict uh, has to do with uh, not what uh, the accuser, uh, but instead he is bringing us to that point then where we can confess our sin, and that means to agree with God. Satan wants you to wallow in your helplessness and hopelessness. Struggle with those feelings of guilt that you can't escape from. The accused. The adversary. Now lastly tonight, notice the advocate. The advocate. And he showed the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuked thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuked thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? 
Now again, that would refer to Joshua personally, but it would also refer to him and his role as the high priest, the intercessor for the nation of Israel. Israel was a brand plucked out of the fire. Joshua was a brand plucked out of the fire. And thus the, the Lord was emphasizing then the grace of our God. And while he was clothed then with filthy garment, what did he say? Take those away from him. And I will clothe thee with the change of raiment. But there was more. Notice, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from you. Do you understand tonight that only God can forgive our sin? I have caused thine iniquity to pass from you. The New Testament gives us the same concept in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. My little children, he says, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He is the propitiation for our sins. He is the one who pays the price. He is our advocate, the one who stands beside us. He is our defense attorney. He's the one who pleads our case. And it's not like it was in the Old Testament where the Lord said, let's change his clothes. Let's give him a new appearance. Let's take away his iniquity. But instead, this comforter, our great high priest, is able to show the nails in his hands and feet and the spear that thrust in his side. He said, he is washed in the blood of the Lamb. So that the accusations of the sin uh, of sin by Satan are met with the assurance of our great Savior. We are so thankful tonight for Calvary and what Jesus Christ did for us there. But let's not forget tonight that Jesus Christ has an ongoing work as well. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25 puts it this way, whereby he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him seeing he ever lives, ever liveth to make intercession for them. Aren't you glad tonight that Jesus Christ is interceding for you? And he's interceding for me. And that is an ongoing, ever-present work. As we confess our sin, then he is faithful and just, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Over the years, I've had multiple conversations. I'm not going to go into a lot of them. I uh, won't go into any of them. I've had multiple conversations, though, with people coming to the end of life who were haunted by guilt. Some terrible things that had happened that they'd never really dealt with. And as they get down to the end of life, suddenly it comes out that they'd been living their whole life going to church every Sunday, carrying around a horrible load of guilt. Now as they were getting ready and they knew their time was short, they wanted to deal with it. I'm grateful to be able to say that Jesus Christ is our advocate and when we call upon him, he hears and he answers. There's no statute of limitations 
on 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. But I never do that, that I don't think about the tragedy of people living a whole life carrying around a load of guilt they didn't have to carry because Jesus Christ is our advocate. Maybe tonight then you're one of those. You're struggling with guilt. You carry it around. Maybe you don't think about it every day, but it's always there. Somehow the closer you get to the Lord, the more you do for and the more the devil tries to bring up something that you did, something that happened, some terrible thing that went on, some time of failure. So when we find ourselves struggling with guilt as children of God, there's three things we need to do. Number one, we need to consider it and consider it carefully. Remember the devil's a liar. Can I tell you that tonight? The devil is a liar. He's the father of lies. Jesus told every lie that's ever told is one of his children. That's why uh, he takes it so personally when we start trying to kill a lie. He loves lies. He's the father of them. Remember then that Satan is a liar. So when, he, when you're feeling those feel, feelings of guilt, think about them. Consider it and consider it careful. Is it real? Is it valid? Or is it the work of the accuser? Unfortunately, the devil even works through churches. A lot of churches made your own guilt. They do. A lot of preaching goes on that is preaching about guilt. Uh, I Listen, uh, guilt is real. <laughs> you know it as well as I do. Sin is real. Yes, uh, yes it is. And we talk about that and we talk about it a lot. But grace is still greater than all of our sin. And grace and the love of Jesus Christ is a far, far greater motive than guilt. Is this real? Is it valid? Or is it the work of the accuser? If it is real, then confess it. Confess it. If the Holy Spirit is troubling you about a sin, call that sin by its first name. <laughs> uh, that's our way of saying we don't just pray, Lord, I'm a sinner, you know, I'm just a sinner. Saved. Well, yeah, we are, I understand. But if the Holy Spirit is convicting us and making us feel that guilt because of something in our life that we haven't reconciled to Him, then we need to take it to Him. Call it by name. He, know already, he already knows what it is. Take it to Him. And then we claim the solution. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I heard a preacher say something one time. I thought about it a long time. And I, I still think that it's for the most part true. Um, he was trying to be sensational with it when he said, there's some things God can't do. Well, the Bible says God can do anything. Now, he was just trying to be sensational, I understand. But this was the point that he made. God can't forgive us for sin he's already forgiven us for. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, either God meant that or he didn't. And if he did, and I believe he did, and I know you do, then when we confess our sin, and that means we agree with him, yes, God, I have sinned, I failed, I messed up. And we ask him to forgive us. He does. 
He does. And that means if we keep on feeling guilty about it, either the accuser is doing it to us or our own mind is doing it to us. And we need to speak the truth to it. Sometimes it even helps us to write it down. Write 1 John 1, 9 on it. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then throw it in the fire or something. Tear it to pieces. It's gone. God does not intend for His children to go through life haunted by guilt. Jesus did not die on the cross for your sins and mine to leave us haunted by guilt. Instead, He gives us that simple formula to follow. If you're not saved tonight, you need to be. Your feelings of guilt are very real because you are guilty. But Jesus Christ died on the cross to take your guilt from him, and he'll save you if you'll let him. Maybe tonight you just need to bring those things to Jesus. Remind yourself of what has happened maybe in the past. Remind yourself of these exceeding great and precious promises. He'll give you peace. Let's stand together, please.